Ruth for wrapping up day one content. It's Amy. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. Uh, also, a reminder that prayer ministry is going to be available from five to seven tonight, and also throughout the rest of the conference. Um, and tonight at seven thirty, there's fun times. So we'll see you there. But first, we will uh, hear a dramatic reading of Ruth four. Have you ever had a friend who shared about a crush he had? He never said any names, but you both knew exactly who he was talking about. Sometimes the stories we tell work on multiple levels, each level distinct and yet interconnected. As you listen today, imagine how different audiences, each one with their distinct history and culture, might have heard and have experienced the conclusion of the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. No sooner had Boaz gone up to the gate and sat down there, that the next of kin, of whom Boaz had spoken, came passing by. So Boaz said, Come over, friend. Sit down here. And he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. He then said to the next of kin, Noemi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If he will redeem it, redeem it. But if he will not, tell me, so that I may know. There is no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will I'll redeem, redeem it. it. Then Boaz said, the day you acquire the field from the hand of Noemi, you are also acquiring Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. At this, the next of kin said, uh, I, I cannot redeem, redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. inheritance. Uh, take, take my, my right, right of redemption, redemption yourself, for, for I, I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the next of kin said to Boaz, Acquire, Acquire it for yourself, he took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have acquired from the hand of Noemi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Malon and Chilion. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, the wife of Malon, to be my wife. Hmm. To maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance, in order that the name of the dead man may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today, you are witnesses. 
Then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, We, we are, are witnesses. witnesses. May, May Yahweh, Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your house like that of Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephrathah and bestow a name in Bethlehem. And through the children that Yahweh will give you by this young woman, May your house be like the house of Perez, that is Breach, whom Tamar, that is Palm Tree, bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, Yahweh made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be Yahweh, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son, a son has, has been, been born, born to Naomi. Naomi. They named him Serving. He became the father of I Possess, the father of Beloved, that is, David. Now these are the descendants of Breach. Breach became the father of surrounded by wall, surrounded by wall of high exalted. High exalted of my kinsman is noble. My kinsman is noble of enchanter, enchanter of garment, garment of fleetness, fleetness of serving, serving of I possess, and I possess of David. Thank you, creative team, for that reading. So as we heard, chapter four starts with Boaz doing what he said he would do. He is settling the matter for Ruth and Naomi. Uh, so he goes to the town gate, he assembles this, this group of people, and remember, the primary concern for Naomi and Ruth was to gain security for each other through a marriage. And again, up until this point, Boaz has shown himself to be willing to provide generously for their temporary security. Uh, through his treatment of Ruth in the fields, and since Ruth's proposal, he has also accepted this responsibility to see to their long-term security in a marriage. Boaz is willing to marry Ruth and care for Naomi. He has praised Ruth for her hased towards Naomi, and it would be an honor for him to marry her and provide for her. But there is also the land of Elimelech to consider, which is tied to Naomi's security, and Boaz knows that this will also have to be settled, so he decides to do it all at the same time. So he sets up this business meeting with Joe Schmo, the closer relative. 
Uh, the term that Boaz calls this relative, friend, come over here. Friend literally means such and such. So we've affectionately named him Joe Schmo as the English equivalent. This is extra biblical content. Don't read too much into this. But Boaz, <laughs> uh, is, Boaz is the relative of this guy. So he would know his name. It's just intentionally left out. So Boaz tells Joe Schmo that the land is for sale and this should be settled now. And Joe Schmo is game. More land equals happy kinsmen. So why does Joe Schmo change his mind then? Boaz tells him that, okay, if you decide to buy this land, you also need to marry Ruth as part of the deal to continue the line of Malon. And Joe Schmo changes his mind. So why does he do that? <clears throat> well, if Joe Schmo buys the land... Um, and there is no one left in the family to redeem it, he increases his family's land. Um, if he marries and has a child, which will take the land eventually, he will lose his investment. Uh, so we learned about this, this Leverite marriage uh, in chapter three. Um, Amy was telling us about it, that um, yeah, if he has an heir, he's going to lose all of this new land that he acquired. And if he has more children after that, he will have to potentially split his existing inheritance even more, which could diminish it. And so maybe Joe Schmo uh, has some reservations about marrying a woman from Moab. Um, we kind of already talked about the animosity between the two nations. So it is really possible that Ruth being a Moabite also plays a factor, but the reason that we are given is more about the economic aspects of the marriage. <clears throat> and Boaz is kind of sneaky in the setup of the deal for this closer next of kin. First, he addresses the legal letter of the law. Uh, this, this land redemption, it is Joe Schmo's legal right to buy this land and potentially benefit from it significantly. You can find this again in uh, Leviticus 25. The spirit of this law is meant to care for women and widows who are vulnerable and to maintain the tie of land to a family and a family name, just like God promises to Abraham. Joe Schmo is only willing to participate in this if it benefits him. The thing is, he's not actually condemned for his choice. Joe decides not to marry Ruth and then he just fades from the story. He's not condemned by the community or by the author, but he's also not praised. He's not even remembered or even named. And this is similar to the way that we see Orpah uh, choose to go back to Moab. She is not condemned for this decision that she makes, but unlike Ruth, she misses out on the creative redemption that comes from choosing to follow the God of Israel. Yeah, that is to say, in Ruth, we are presented with Orpah and Josh Mo, who are basically the character foils in comparison to Ruth and Boaz. But even in the text, the author is pretty ambiguous to Orpah, whether or not she made the right choice. And as well with Josh Mo, yeah, he kind of just fades. We don't know his name. He's not remembered in history. And from this, I would say that the text can encourage us to move away from a black and white understanding of what is good and not good, what is the right choice or the wrong choice, because it's much more dynamic than simply being black and white. Yeah, 
Ruth and Boaz make decisions that go above and beyond what is expected or asked of them. And again, they're not these superhuman, up-on-a-pedestal God followers. They're just being faithful in the contexts that they're in, in the situations that they're a part of. And so um, we all are in a certain situation and a certain context. Um, And I had a chance to interview Joshua Kim from Emily Carr to hear about what his experience of following God this year is like and what making faithful choices is like. So we're going to listen to that now. Welcome, Joshua, uh, to the podcast. I am glad that you could be here to join us. Thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. It's nice to meet. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you too. I'm glad you could be here. So, Joshua, you are a third year visual arts student at Emily Carr, right? Yes. What was your role this year in your campus fellowship? I was the coordinator leader. What were some of your responsibilities? I had to think of some ideas, and also I had to make the posters and invite others. Cool. Did many of the people you invited, did they say yes, or what was that like? Most of them didn't come, but some of them did come. Yeah, did you end up inviting uh, people just once, or did you do it, like, multiple times? I invited some people multiple times, but... I invited different people multiple times. Yeah, and when we talked before, you had mentioned that there were three friends that you kept on inviting to things um, that were for classmates, I think. And did they end up showing up? No, they didn't end up showing up. How did it feel when you were you kept on inviting, but people weren't coming? A uh, little worried and also a, li- a little worried. Mm-hmm. But when the other people didn't come, didn't come. It also frustrated me and made me afraid. Mm. Yeah. Why? Why did it make you afraid? Because I didn't not able to do the fun event, although it is for God's event. I guess I'm wondering why did you keep inviting people even though they didn't come? Uh, God wants me to. It is the way of leading the other people to God. Mm-hmm. It is the faith through the fun times and also the fun gatherings, gatherings with each other. You had mentioned that this was a way to lead people towards God. What has your experience with God been like this year? I feel like God didn't love me, but in fact, God was loving me, loving me throughout whole time. Yeah. Has there been any people this year that you have felt kind of God's love through? My coach and his coach Mm -hmm. and other kind people's. And my parents and my university members. Yeah, thank you. What are some ways that you have kind of chosen to follow God this year? I decided to watch some of the videos, videos that is related to the faith and also the reading the Bible. Yeah, and you had mentioned uh, that Lent was an important season for you. What was the season of Lent like? It was difficult, but it was good. That way I can learn, I could learn how to live a life with the God involving it. Yeah, you mentioned that you watched videos. Uh, what kind of videos would you watch? Uh, Doraemon, 
uh, Lion King, and also docu- nature documentaries and crossovers and Ang Pang Man. And while you watched, was there anything that you were watching for? I just looking out for the interesting stories and uh, appealing looking characters and the themes behind it. Yeah, you told me that you were writing a book and illustrating it. Could you tell me a little about the book? Yeah, it is about me going in a camping and found a mom abandoned in a forest, which was by her son. She did the kind things for him because she's a mom, you know. But after the son meets a meets a girl, she he aband- eventually abandoned his mother as a thinking of uh, thinking of her as a hindrance. But after he found out the love of love of the mother, he returns to his mother with my help. Julie, I help him feel the love of his mother. Why are you writing this book? Not only to express something in my head, but also to feel the God's love. In addition, gives the chance for the others to ponder and find the meanings about it on their own. Is there anything else that you want to say about following God this year and what that's been like? Uh, even if feeling like he doesn't love you, but he loves you the whole time. Just hold on to the faith. Thank you again, Joshua, for sharing with us. One thing that stuck out to me from our conversation was the commitment to keep inviting people even when they said no. I know that this year was a really hard year to be inviting people out to events and other things. And I think Joshua's perseverance reminds us of how Ruth was persistent in caring for Naomi even when it was hard. The other thing that I really appreciated was Joshua's honesty with his journey with God this year. Like Naomi, he didn't really feel God's love at times, but he was honest with his community and with us and even with himself. And I know it can be really hard to to be honest about where we're at and how we feel like we're relating to God. So yeah, thank you, Joshua, so much for that. Yeah, and I also want to affirm that journeying with God is hard. I think sometimes we get so caught up with discerning God's will in our lives that sometimes we become so easily swayed when things happen in our lives that may not or may have been God's will. And we question ourselves in wondering, is this what we're choosing, a faithful choice? Is this even the right choice? I remember one time I was actually sitting in my class at Regent and we were going through Mark's gospel. And my professor, Dr. Guthrie, at the time said in lecture, the more we know Jesus and the significance of his work, the more we know how to be his disciples in a difficult and fallen world. And that really struck me. And I think this is the answer of how to live faithfully in the midst of our schooling, our jobs, and our relationships around us. It's simply the more we know our God and allow the significance of who he is to transform our worldviews, then our values and the choices that we will make will align with the faithful option. Now, I will say that as we seek to know God more, this doesn't mean that we will never make decisions that will not be in line with God's word. Sometimes we make decisions that turn us away from God. I mean, just ask Peter, who literally walked with God 
and saw miracles happen before his very eyes and yet still denied him three times. I don't see this badly. I actually am encouraged that we're going to mess up. But there is grace abounding in God's kingdom always and forever. What we hope one of our takeaways are from this time is to accept the grace freely given to us by God when we slip up. And believe me, we all will. But in accepting God's grace and choosing to be molded by His word, we will understand more what it means to make faithful choices. As we are coming to the end of Ruth, it is interesting to see how the community has played a role in blessing and welcoming Ruth into their community. Be it at the gate, where usually a lot of commercial transactions take place with the elders, or the women blessing Naomi at the end, we not only see individual people being and doing what God has called them to do, but we actually see a whole community living as God's promise to Abraham to be blessings unto the nations. And let's just say this is very bold. <laughs> For Boaz to incorporate the elders in his interactions with Josh Mo and have them have a stake in Ruth and Naomi's well-being is huge. For the woman in the town to tell Naomi that a foreign daughter-in-law is better than seven sons is breaking cultural expectations of what is and isn't good. The people in Ruth are not playing safe. That's not what God's people do. Instead, they are living ordinary lives in very radical and transformative ways, which should serve as an encouragement and reminder that we should do likewise. Yeah, thank you, Amy, so much. And I love that the result of this is that they get married. Boaz and Ruth get married. Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. And when they come together, the Lord causes Ruth to conceive. The Lord is an active agent. And this is the second time and the last time that God is doing something directly in this story. Why does God's intervention come in the form of a child being conceived? Well, first, God is consistent. God's covenant with Abraham was to make him a great nation and with offspring more than the stars. Um, and this offspring comes when Abraham and his wife are really old and have no kids. God does what is impossible to do through conception and birth. And God's promise through your offspring, all the world will be blessed. There are many stories of God's active agency in enabling women to conceive. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah and Rachel. All of these patriarchs of the faith of, of Israel have moments where God comes and is part of establishing their family. I think that fulfilling this promise of Abraham and his offspring is a major reason that God makes Ruth conceive. Uh, and the second uh, reason why I think God intervenes in this way is that the result of this baby is redemption. Both land and names are redeemed. And those are two big identity pieces for the people of Israel. A foreign widow is now a mother in a community. A bitter widow is now a loving grandma. These identity pieces and place pieces are redeemed through this baby. And 
It looks like the happily ever after of this story for Ruth and Naomi does come through a marriage and a baby. And culturally, there is a huge value around women having children, especially sons. So in some ways, this would satisfy cultural expectations of the people hearing this story and uh, the people in the story. But that does not mean that it is objectively good. Having a baby boy is a great thing, but it's not better than having a girl. So I think within the context of the heterarchy that we talk about in the first uh, teaching we had this morning, the potential to have a son is how women are valued. And that piece of culture is worth arguing against, in my opinion. And I think the author of Ruth actually argues against that themselves pretty well. We see in the blessing of the women of the community that they are blessing Naomi for this baby and for what God has done, but they also bless Ruth, this daughter-in-law who is more to you than seven sons. This is crazy. Amy, tell me about what you think about this blessing. And then I have some thoughts too. I mean, when I read this blessing, I was like, ooh, what are some modern day equivalents to to say what's better? So I thought like, Ruth is more to you than a child with a PhD from a prestigious school like Harvard, who is married to a person that the parents approve of, who has a stable income, and who is having grandchildren for the parents. I think that's like, Ruth is better than all of these things. Yeah, totally. I think for my context growing up, the message might have been this daughter is more to you than the child who will take over the family business and get married and raise their family close to you and spend every holiday with you. Like every cultural achievement and expectation is met. And more than that, more than insert cultural achievement and expectation, because the idea of this is Seven, seven in uh, Israelite culture is like the number of completeness, of wholeness, and sons are the things that are valued. So in terms of a family, seven sons would be the perfect or the most complete family. And again, these women are blessing Naomi and Ruth in the way that their family looks really different. Um, the language challenges the system of, that values sons over daughters. It gives a different image for what a full or complete family looks like. Not one just based on perfect success and meeting all of the cultural values, but marked by loss and changing circumstances, there's still this possibility of wholeness. And I just love how this blessing reframes what has happened for Naomi, which brings us back to this theme that we talked about earlier of emptiness to fullness. When Naomi returns to Bethlehem, she claimed that she went away full and was brought back empty. But the women of the community praise God for the birth of this child. Rather than God being turned against Naomi like she thought, they say that through the birth of this child, God is actually very much for Naomi. While, yes, she lost all of the men in her life and she blamed God, but God is the one who provides people with life. That's what this blessing is. He does not leave Naomi vulnerable, but he is providing for her. 
This blessing is in line with the culture that highly values the birth of sons. But the next part of the blessing that challenges that value as well, this affirmation of Ruth, both as a woman who bore the son, but also that she is better than a perfect family. Naomi went away with an ideal family, but came back with a complex one. But she was not empty, and God had not turned against her. And it took the voice of her community to recognize that and speak it over her. Actually, when Joshua was telling me about the book that he is writing, I saw the same theme of helping someone feel the love that was already always there for them. Just like Naomi's community helped her see the love that Ruth had for her and the love that God had for her. Um, Ruth also sees this increase to fullness. Ruth's posture initially was different than Naomi's, but she was also a widow, was vulnerable. She was grieving the loss of her husband and home, her family, her culture, her gods. I think Ruth comes into Bethlehem even more empty, but she is with it. She has a child now when previously she didn't. She was married to Malon for 10 years and didn't have a child. And now she does and is accepted into the people who she had chosen already when she chose to come with Naomi. And actually through Ruth, it seems like the entire community witnesses and experiences God's blessing. God redeems Israel the land and Israel the people. All of the places that are empty are filled. Is this the God that you want to serve? Oh, man. I mean, I do. (laughs) But this brings us now to the actual end of Ruth with the birth of Obed, which means the one who serves. And I find this really beautiful that being born to a pretty prominent family who is well off, Obed is given a very humble name. With the genealogy, what is going on besides the cycle of 10 generations that the Israelites like to use a lot is that the Israelites love genealogies because they can tangibly trace God's faithfulness to his covenantal promises. How can they be a blessing to the nations if there is no nation that they could go out and bless? So what does this mean? Let's break this down. First, we have Tamar who bore twins Perez and Zerah. However, it is Perez who ends up being Boaz's forefather. With Ruth, she is an ancestor of Moab, who is the son of one of Lot's daughters. Remember this? (laughs) From both Boaz and Ruth, there is Obed, Obed to Jesse, Jesse to David, and eventually the Messiah. Jesus Christ will come from his family line. From this little book, we get an ordinary story of people living ordinary, radical lives in their small town of Bethlehem that will later on have huge historical and eternal consequences for the entire world. If this simply doesn't boggle your mind, then someone needs to make sure you are still breathing at the end of this podcast. (laughs) But as we wrap up Ruth and let the characters in the pages spur you on to more simple yet profoundly radical living, we are all invited into as God's people. We want to pray for you. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so thankful for Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz and the ways that they were reliant on you 
that they were there honest with their feelings and their needs. They, they were generous with what they had in overabundance. And Lord, we look to them as examples of faithful, simple, radical living. Father God, I pray that you spur us on to do likewise in our context. And may we be reminded that you are the God who is faithful in the midst of all of our circumstances. I pray this in your name. Amen.